Well, it's, uh, it's great to see you in worship today. If you're a guest, I'm David. I'm the pastor. We're, we're glad you're here. Hope you always feel welcome and know that you, we loved having you. Uh, today's kind of a sad day for us. This is the last uh, Sunday that Josh Cuellar, who just walked out with the table, uh, will be with us. Josh has served for over six years here at First Baptist. Started off um, as a part-time college minister. Before that, he actually, before I ever came, he was interim uh, youth minister at one time. Today, he is, you know, not only college, but he does next generation and assimilation. And uh, he and his uh, wife, Sarah, and child Atlas are heading off to Seattle this week. We're going to miss him. I can't tell you how much I appreciate all that Josh did and has done for us. Uh, if you know Josh, you get a chance to see him, tell him how much you appreciate him as well. Next week, we start a new series entitled FBC Life. Uh, Joe Andrews, our campus pastor, is going to lead that series, assuming he learns how to talk before then uh, and can actually put a sentence together about God. That would be helpful. Um, and that series is about the expectations of the Christian faith and how you can take those expectations and connect that to here at First Baptist Church. And then in September, I start a new series on the life of Paul. Today, we conclude a series you've been in this summer entitled The Kingmaker. And The Kingmaker, if you've come at all, know it's about the life of Samuel. And uh, last week, we came kind of the climactic, climactic part of this series about Samuel in a, a sermon entitled The Kingmaker, where he anointed David the king. And that is really the, the, the highlight of all the things that Samuel did. This, this is the one that has lasting impact. And uh, in that series, we saw the purpose of Samuel. And in that series, we learned that purpose ultimately is always connected to Jesus. And uh, today, we kind of come to a message that's sort of on the back end of purpose. Uh, we look at this life of Samuel, and we see the legacy. We're going to see the legacy that Samuel left behind and how it impacts us and what it means for us. And as we do that, the thing that I want you to get from this message is I want you to ask yourself a very simple question, and hopefully you'll be able to somehow to answer it. Ask yourself this question, what will you leave behind? Ultimately in life, what will you leave behind? And so we come and we see, to start off with, that uh, Samuel left a legacy. Now, the definition of legacy, if you looked it up, has to do with leaving property or son of a sum of money to someone or to some institution. It's kind of about leaving assets. But in popular culture, I mean, just in the normal way we talk about legacy, we're talking about the memory that someone leaves behind or the things that they have accomplished that we think about in their life. And so we, we kind of look at how they're remembered, and that's really how we're going to look at legacy today. And we're going to come to the last verse in the book of 1 Samuel that really talks about Samuel and uh, describes him in some capacity, and that's in 1 Samuel chapter 25. Verse 1, it says, then Samuel died. And that's all it says about his death. And here's this great guy. And if you read the, the scriptures, the Old and New Testament, it didn't talk much, much about the death of people. I mean, they died. This person died, that person died. Samuel died. And all Israel then gathered together and mourned for him. Now, the term gathered together means to assemble. This is sort of a formal gathering. All of Israel came. It doesn't mean every single person came. But someone representing every group, every tribe, every clan, every family, somebody was there. This is a huge event. I mean, they're, they're celebrating and they're mourning, it says, his death. Now, the word mourn means to the lament, to cry, to be sad. Back in that day and age, when people died, there was great mourning. And sometimes it was you know, kind of a public spectacle. Sometimes you paid mourners. But the mourning signified the depth of loss. Now, today, while we mourn as followers of Jesus, we also celebrate. 
So oftentimes when we'll talk about someone passing, we'll talk about the celebration of a life in Christ. But they all came together. They did that. It was a huge national event, and they buried him in his house in Rama. Rama was his hometown. That's where he ended up going back to. When we started off the series, he left his home as a child to go to Shiloh, where the sanctuary was. And then as he became an adult and began to lead, he, he went back home, and that's kind of where headquarters were for him. And so we look at this guy, Samuel, and we look at this life, and I began this entire series with the first Sunday in June. And, and, and I talked about Samuel. I talked about him being one of the six key figures in the Old Testament. To understand the Old Testament, to really grasp it, Note that there are six people that dominate the ebb and flow of the story of the Old Testament. The first three, the three main ones, is Abraham, Moses, and David. You know, the three kind of heroes of of the Old Testament and the Jewish faith. And so much of the Old Testament is somehow, in some way, connected to them. Whether it be because everyone is the descendant of Abraham, or the law of Moses dominates, or the fact that every king was always measured against David. These three guys dominate. But there are three others that I call transitional people that were key because they transitioned Israel. Joshua was one. Joshua transitioned from Moses and the time wandering in the wilderness to get to the promised land. Elijah was a transitional figure. When Elijah came along in the uh, ninth century, that the kingship had become corrupted. And so instead of the kings dominated as the ones who spoke and represented Israel, the prophets kind of rose up. And they oftentimes confronted the king. And Elijah kind of was that transitional figure. But the other one was this guy, Samuel. As I shared with you, Samuel came along at the end of the judges. And at the end of the judges, he came along and he transitioned them to get to the kingship. And what he did is simply amazing because he took 12 tribes that were not united, 12 tribes that were involved in the worship of paganism. And when he was through, he got them united to worship only one God, anointed David king, and then they took off. And so when we look at the life of Samuel, what we see is a guy who was a prophet and a priest and a judge. Now, he was the very last of the judges. His name is not mentioned in the book of Judges. But he was one of them. But he was the last and by far the greatest. I mean, if you look at the life of the judges, and I talked about this at the very beginning of the series, they were mostly regional, whereas Samuel was national. And at the end of the day, all of them failed. Because while a judge might lead the people away a little while from paganism and help them for a little while get back to God, when they died, it all fell apart. When Samuel came on the scene, paganism through the form of the worship of Baal, the Canaanite cultures dominated. They had taken the worship of Baal and in all the tribes and their different aspects of paganism in the different areas they lived, and they incorporated that culture into the worship of Yahweh, the one true God. And they completely corrupted the worship of that one true God. And here comes Samuel. And in the span of his lifetime, in fact, less than his lifetime, he does this amazing thing of taking these 12 separate tribes getting each of them to cast themselves away from that culture and to become united in the pursuit of serving God. He was a phenomenal judge. He was the last judge. He was a priest. When he came on, and I shared this with you in the second sermon, the priesthood was corrupt. Eli and his sons were corrupt. He restored dignity and honor to the priesthood. Now, he was never the high priest, but he was the priest. And no high priest had ever done what he did. He took the people and got them as a nation to repent. Twelve separate tribes 
worshiping kind of in 12 different ways, all of them corrupting the worship of Yahweh with paganism. And he got them as one people to repent from worshiping false gods, to turn back to the one true God, Yahweh, their Lord. And they continued that way for over a hundred years. It was not until David's son Solomon, the supposed wisest man that ever lived, who introduced paganism back into Israel, that they ever went back down that path. Not only was that, he was this prophet. Now, prophets, as I shared, spoke the mind of God. God reveals himself to us. As I shared with you many times, but God, the only way we know God is because he tells us who he is. He reveals himself. He reveals himself progressively in movements and bits and pieces. The ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. Always the ultimate revelation of God is Jesus. But here is Samuel. He was the first of what we would call the classic prophets. By the classic prophets, I mean the ones who come and says, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord said. Some of them would write or their disciples would write. Now, there was a prophet before Samuel named Moses. For all the things he was, he was also a prophet. But he was a different type. But the first guy to come to confront culture, to confront people, to confront the kings was Samuel. After him, Nathan would come. And when David sinned against against God by Bathsheba, Nathan confronted David. Later on, Elijah would confront Ahab for all his sin. The prophets would be marked by confronting the kings and their disobedience to God. That began with Samuel when he confronted Saul. This is an amazing guy. And through all of that, the height of all he did was that day we saw last week when in an act of treason, he took a young man named David and he anointed him to be the king, and the world forever changed. This is that guy. Now, part of his life is summarized in 1 Samuel chapter 7. We saw that before, but I want to come back to that again for a few moments. And I want to read to you what it says there. Now, Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life, judges to lead all his life. He started when he was young. Get this. He used to go annually on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and he judged Israel in all these places. Now, He was a national leader. He was not a king. But in many ways, he functioned similar to what a king did. Now, kings didn't go to the people. If you wanted something from the king, you went to him. Notice what Samuel did. He traveled every year to three strategic locations to be with the people. And from there, he could travel to smaller locations if you wanted. Every year, he went to the people. The leader of the people went to the people to be with them. Then he would make his return to Ramah, his hometown. Because that's where he lived. His house was there. And then he judged Israel there also. That's where he led them. And he built an altar to the Lord. At Ramah, he built an altar to the Lord. Now, Ramah was not a a sacred place. It was not a special place. And you were not just supposed to build altars anywhere. So obviously, God gave him the grace. God allowed him to build this altar. And since this was his home, and since he loved God, he wanted to worship God there. And he did. And with this in mind, I want you to see the legacy of Samuel. I want you to understand exactly who Samuel was. Get this, first of all. Samuel left behind his relationship with God. What are you going to leave behind? Samuel left behind his relationship with God. He loved God. He served God. He obeyed God. It's hard for us to grasp fully what Samuel did. He went to the cultures of his time. Not just one culture, multiple cultures. He went to those cultures, and in their disobedience and rebellion, he spoke the mind of God. He called them out for their sin and rebellion. He loved them, but he called them out for their sin and rebellion. 
And he went to the people and he called the people to repent of sin. Repent of sin. Not only that, but there were times he led them in war on numerous occasions against the Philistines in the south, the Amalekites, uh, further out west and north. He led them against those people. And he said, we're going to break the chains of these pagans. And he led them in that way. And then when Saul disobeyed God, not once, but twice, he went to the king and told the king to his face, God is going to take your kingdom away from you and give it to someone else. It takes a lot of faith to go to those cultures, to those worlds, and to speak the truth of God to them. And then, in an act of all-out treason, he took David, and because God told him to do it, and he obeyed God, he anointed David king. This is a pretty significant guy who did some pretty significant things because he had an unbelievable faith in God. But not only that, understand this, that Samuel left behind his relationship with people. See, Samuel loved people. He cared about people. He went to the people. Did he confront them? Yes. Did he confront the culture and tell them that they're sinful and tell them they're out of sorts with God? Yeah, he did that. He did not open his arms and embrace the culture. But he engaged that culture. And he loved the people that he served. In fact, they didn't serve him. He served them. He went to them. And he loved them. And he led them to the Lord. This was a significant thing about how he dealt with people and how he loved people and how he cared about him. Because Samuel was, by all accounts, this unbelievably significant person in the world at that time. And so when you look at Samuel's life and you realize what he did 3,000 years ago, in many ways, Samuel... It changed the world. Because when he anointed David king, not only did he change the history of Israel, he would eventually change the history of the world. Now, look at it from this way. We always got to look at things from this side of Jesus. So we, ha- we have Jesus. The New Testament begins. Matthew, the first book in the New Testament, begins this way. It begins the ministry, the life of Jesus, who is the Messiah. The gospel of Jesus, the Messiah. Son of David, son of Abraham. Now, to call him the son of Abraham was significant because God had made a promise to Abraham. And the promise that God made to Abraham is the whole world will be blessed through him. All the world will be blessed through Abraham. And it says to us in Matthew's account, says from the beginning, Jesus was that descendant of Abraham who would bless the world. And then it says he was a descendant, the son of David. Now, one of the things that, that I shared with you last week is that by the time of Jesus, everybody who was Jewish understand that the Messiah, who would be the Savior, had to come from the family of David. Last week we saw that God made a promise to David that a relative would serve forever as king. Well, that wasn't physically serve. Well, how would they rule then? Well, the people understood the Messiah had to come from David. So here you have Jesus coming from David. And so, in order for David to have significance, David had to have some meaning. He had to be the king. And the only way that David could be king is that someone with authority and the authenticity of God would anoint him to be king. And only one person could anoint David to be king. It had to be Samuel. So what Samuel did was fundamental in changing things. So understand this. Samuel's legacy 
is that followers of Jesus still tell his story. His story is part of the story of Jesus, the one who saves. What possible significance do you think Samuel would have in our life 3,000 years after him, if not for Jesus? I mean, here I am. I live in America in the 21st century, removed by three millennium from Samuel. There have been tens of thousands of men and women who've had significant impacts in the lives and the cultures in which they live. We know nothing about them, care nothing about them, make no difference to me. What makes Samuel so different? What makes Samuel so different is that his story is connected to the story of Jesus. If Samuel's story wasn't connected to the story of Jesus, I wouldn't care about Samuel at all. I wouldn't be preaching a series about Samuel if he wasn't somehow connected to Jesus. But he is because of his anointing of David to be king. And the legacy of Samuel is that legacy, that his story is connected to the story of Jesus, who is the one who saves us. That was Samuel's legacy. Which leads me then to kind of come to the conclusion of this whole series to ask you this question, what will be your legacy? I am told by people, I don't know who those people are, that I am in the legacy stage of my life. What that means is I'm getting older. That's what that means. I don't know why it means that, but evidently it does. And evidently because, you know, children are grown, just Debbie and I, you know, and I got not a whole lot of time left, evidently. I'm on the back end of life. I'm, I'm in the legacy stage. Now, I do want to share with you that, that I actually think that getting older, I, I used to understand, you know, people were older when I was young. You know, I looked really old at 61. But as, as I got older, old gets older. You know, like it's way out there. But, you know, what kind of legacy am I going to live? The other day I was looking through some pictures of my very first church, the very first church I ever served, Northside Baptist Church, 1980. I was 19 years of age. I became their youth minister for over three and a half years. Now, I look back, nobody should be a youth minister at 19 years of age, you know. That was just dumb how they made me a child almost. I was barely older. I was only a couple of years older than so my youth. And I look back at that time. It was the highlight of my life in many ways. And... And I look back at those pictures, and I remember those pictures as they were yesterday. I mean, th that was 40 years ago. Something. I remember it like yesterday. And, and the kids in that picture are now in their 50s. Some of them have even passed away. Some of them are grandparents. And I look back at that. And so I was looking back at those pictures the other day. I was thinking, did I make any difference in their life at all? Because truly, that's what mattered. The whole reason that I'm in ministry is to make a difference in your life. That's it. It's the only reason that I'm in ministry is to make a difference in your life. And, and I thought back, did I make a difference in their life? And I look at the pictures, and there are these letters. Now, for some of you, you may not realize this, but before email and before texting, people communicated by writing letters. And I began to read some of those letters. I had forgot about them. And they wrote me over time the letters of the way that I made a difference in their life. And it was kind of... I guess in connection with this message that I realized, legacy is not for the old. Anyone can leave a legacy, even when you're 19 years of age. Someone talks to you about the legacy to leave behind. And I, I, I kind of think about this. I think I remember when Kelly came into our life and she was this infant. And I remember holding her that first time and understanding I had 
to instill my faith in her. I had to give her my faith. And, and, and I thought I have 18 years to help her understand faith. Because back then, I somehow thought that when you have a child, you only have them for 18 years and then you don't have them anymore. That was dumb. Some of you know, you can't get rid of your children no matter how hard you try. They won't leave. And when they leave, for somehow they have access to all your finances, like your ATM card, and they're on your phone plan. They just won't leave. And now here she is in her 30s, and I realize she still looks to me and her mother about how to live faith. She looks to us to understand how do we deal with difficulty? How do we handle tragedy? How do we handle illness and loss? How do we deal with that? In fact, not only her, but for many of you, since I am your pastor, you do the same to some degree. You want to know if I live by what I preach. And you want to know if I live by the faith I talk about. So what is the legacy we leave behind? Let me start with this way. First of all, leave behind a faith in Jesus that makes a difference. You've got to leave behind a faith that makes a difference. Life matters. It really does. Life matters so much. Every life matters. Your life matters. If you get anything from Samuel, just remember this. Before Samuel was born, God knew what Samuel was going to do. Life matters, and, and life matters from the moment of conception. Listen, sometimes you got to put aside the politics and the craziness of this culture garbage we see, and you just have got to come to reality and see things the way God sees things. And to God, life matters from the second of conception. Life has value to God. Your life has value to God. And God sent Jesus into this world to die for us because our life has value. And without Jesus, the value of life fades away. But not only does life matter, but life, life is hard. That's one thing I've learned over the years. It gets hard. It gets harder. And it's hard because we rebel against God. It's hard because we have chosen to push God aside. And we want to do everything the way we want to do it. And that makes it hard. And life gets hard because we die. I mean, if Jesus keeps from coming for a while longer, we all die sometime. Life is hard because we have to face illness. And we face loss and heartache and tragedy, and brokenness. Life is hard, and life is harder without Jesus. It is always harder without Jesus. And life is short. Oh, it's short. 40 years ago when I was 20, I thought people in their 60s were old. I thought people in their 40s were old. I didn't ever think I'd live that long. I mean, I thought I'd live that long, but I thought it would, like, never would happen. You never, you, when you're 20, you don't ever think you'll be 60. You never think you're going to be 60. And then you're 60, and you're like, well, yeah, I'm going to be 80 pretty quick. In fact, when you're 60, the one thing you know you won't be is 100. <laughs> so at some point, you're going to be right about all that. Life is so short. And when this life ends, there's another life that comes. That's the eternal life. 
and that life lives forever. And you know, everybody spends forever somewhere. You know that, right? Everybody spends forever somewhere. You're either going to spend forever in the presence of God, celebrating for all eternity the faith in Jesus, or you're going to spend forever in the judgment and condemnation of your rebellion against God. But where you spend eternal life is not decided in the next life. It is decided in this life. This life determines the next life. That's why we need Jesus. That's why your faith matters. When you look at the life of Samuel, Samuel worshiped God. We worship God. Just like Samuel, we have to worship and honor God. Samuel obeyed God. Now, we obey God differently because we obey God in Christ. Jesus came. We look at everything this side of Jesus. I shared that with you several times. Jesus said, follow me. Well, if Jesus is God in the flesh, he's the Savior and the Messiah, says, follow me. To be obedient, we follow him. And Samuel spoke the mind of God because he understood the revelation of God. And you and I have the ultimate revelation of God. The ultimate way that God speaks is in Jesus. And in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the story of Jesus. And in the book of Acts, we have the story of the early church who preached the message of Jesus. And in the letters of Paul and Peter and John and Jude and James and whoever wrote Hebrews, we have the understanding of Jesus we need. Take all of that. And be sure you leave behind a faith that makes a difference. And secondly, leave behind relationships with people that make a difference. People mattered to Samuel. Yeah, he confronted them with their sin, but he loved them. When, when, when Saul rebelled against God, it broke Samuel's heart. He grieved for Saul because he loved Saul. He hated what Saul was going through. And he hated that Saul did that. And he went to the people and he showed them he loved them. Listen, let people see. Let them see your faith as you interact with them. Now, I understand we live in a counterculture. And we have to be, we cannot embrace the culture, but we have to still love people. Let the people see you love them. Let them see you forgive and when people wrong you, you forgive them and let them see that. Let them see that you care for them and have compassion for them. Let them see you serve them. Jesus said, I didn't come for you to serve me. I came to save you and to serve you. Samuel, serve the people. Let them see you serve them. And let them see, hear about your faith and the way you talk to them. Listen, I know the sin is wrong. And we got to confront. I get all that. But at some point, we can't just condemn. At some point, we've got to share the love of Christ. At some point, we have to help them see that their life matters. And that's why Jesus came. And at some point, you've got to share Jesus. Some point. You've got to build relationships with people, even who are part of the culture, and make a difference in their life. Samuel died. They mourned for him. Today, as fathers of Jesus, we do mourn some, but we celebrate. I remember you know, over 10 years ago, my mom passed, and it was time to do her funeral. And, and you know, it was probably the best I've ever done at anything was when I did the funeral of my mother. And it was such a celebration. And I knew a lot of people would be there from the church she was at and all that, but there were people there I didn't know. 
And people just, people that had no idea who they were. And they would come up to me afterwards and say, you don't know me. I know you because your mom talked about you all the time. She says, your mom made such a difference in my life. And they would talk about this. I found out at her funeral, I, something my wife kept from me and my sisters kept from me. Everybody kept something from me. They just didn't think I could handle it. My wife had, my mother had another family, a secret family. Not because she had other children, but she took care of these kids and they kind of considered her their grandmother. They even had a name for her that was not her name that we called her. That's probably why they kept it from me. Don't tell David, he'll get upset. And they said, your mom made such a difference in the life of our kids. So I'm going to leave you with this for this whole series. As a follower of Jesus, make sure your life matters to someone. As a follower of Jesus, make sure your life matters to someone. A year ago, my uncle died. He died broken and broke. He had cut off everything from every family. He was a lonely, bitter man when he died. He had one string of relationship with left with anyone that was me. His wishes when he died was for his body to be given to science. I don't know why he thought science wanted it. Evidently, he thought it would be helpful. So the UT Health Science Center took his body, and they did whatever they did with it. Then... They cremated it, took his ashes, put it in a carton, similar to the type of carton you'll probably get when you go to lunch today to take your leftovers home. And they took that carton and they buried it in the ground and they called me and told me what they had done. And I said, okay. And when I got up with off that phone, then I just thought to myself, my uncle's life didn't matter at all. He never trusted Christ. He destroyed every relationship ever he had. The only thing he left behind was a cardboard box of ashes. And that was it. What will you leave behind? Will you leave behind a faith in Jesus that lasts and makes a difference? Will you leave behind the relationships of people that make a difference? In just a moment, we're going to stand here. And if you'd like to give your life to Christ, you can. Or if you simply like to come and pray with one of us, you can. If you want to pray about broken relationships, if you want to pray for forgiveness so that you need to give forgiveness, so that you want to restore something with someone, if you want to pray that you want to come to Christ, if you want to join our church, whatever you want to do, that's fine. You can do that with us. You can do that where you are. But understand this. When you leave this place today, be sure your life matters to someone. Be sure you know what you will leave behind. So, Lord, we thank you as we come into your presence that we can worship you and honor and glorify you. And we look at the life of Samuel and we say, thank you for God. Here was a man who loved you. And even though he didn't know anything about Jesus, even though he had no clue about a Messiah, what he did pointed to Jesus. And he left behind a legacy of faith and a legacy of relationships that we can copy to this very day. So help us, Father, when we leave this place today, know that we are leaving something behind that matters. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? You come.